Like you're not a pastor because of who you are. You know, you're a pastor by the grace of God. You are called by God's grace. It, it is it is a gift of grace to be ordained and to serve. Um, who you are and where you're from is irrelevant. Yeah. In, and in fact, the Bible tells us to make ourselves nothing. You know, um, what is it? One Corinthians three. Who, what is Apollos? And who is Paul? Except ministers through who you receive the word of God. Well, welcome to City Square Podcast, where we talk with everyday people about faith and work. My name is Micah. Uh, if you're a first-time listener with us or watcher, I'd ask for you to subscribe to the channel and like the video if you enjoy the content. Um, so if you like it, hitting those buttons means a lot to us. We'd appreciate it. My guest this episode is Pastor Peter Noble. He is a husband, father of four, He's a producer, a multi-instrumentalist, second one that I've had on, MC, he's an amateur tattoo artist, and last but not least, he is, in fact, an ordained Lutheran pastor. So, welcome, Peter. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Micah. God bless you. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure. Thank you for uh, making time out of your schedule, and I, it was a little bit of a logistical challenge um, because you are actually in Australia, correct? That's right, right at the bottom uh, of the most southern tip in uh, Hobart in Tasmania, which is, I think it's close to, it's like Chile. I think the bottom of Chile is to Antarctica. I think that's about right. Wow. It's like around the air. So uh, right. it's quite cold here, about maybe six degrees outside, C- Celsius, and not Fahrenheit. If I'm not mistaken, it's winter time there, right? Or thereabouts? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's jackets. Okay. Um, and it's not even winter yet. It's still technically, is it autumn? But it's, yeah. Gotcha. Um, very, very cold. And it's summer where you are. Yes, we're just heading into summer, actually. Oh, my goodness. I'm so jealous. So, yeah, so shorts, T-shirt, you know, it's that kind of it's that kind of weather right now. Awesome. Um, obviously, Texas is hot. Um, so I was... Googling Tasmania because I wasn't exactly sure where you lived. And, you know, granted, most Americans, if they know anything about Australia, they're thinking maybe Sydney, right? As the well, most well known city, the Olympics, finding Nemo, you know, all the fun uh, cultural <laughs> landmarks, right? So, uh, yes, um, correct. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I was looking, I was like, where is Tasmania? And I didn't even realize that you're actually not even on mainland Australia. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, that's new for me too. So um, mm. I've only been down here for five months, um, but I was in Gladstone, central Queensland, which is, uh, I guess it's like Texas. It's really hot. It's always hot up there. It's like 18 degrees. It's like on the on the coast, 18 to 21 degrees every day mm. pretty much. Um, and it can get up to 30 degrees, um, but it's always 100% humidity pretty much. Anyway, so I moved from there, and it's about two and a half thousand kilometers south. So I'm right, right at the bottom now. Um, correct, off the mainland. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a massive um, weather and uh, adjustment. But it's a joy to just be, go wherever God needs us to serve in the church. I guess it's like going to Canada. <clears throat> I'm guessing, right? Like you're going north yeah. right up, and it gets real cold. Um, so... Yeah, so you just go far further south, and it's just this little island, um, and they make lots of really cool stuff here, like wine and cheese and 
um, honey, hmm. it's huge here. They make lots of gins and whiskey is huge now. Um, it's never been Lovely. this big, but it's there's like micro breweries everywhere. It's a real thing now. So um, when That's... you come and visit one day, I'll, I'll give you a tour yeah. around. That sounds awesome, actually. (laughs) That sounds awesome. I actually grew up in British Columbia, Canada, so it wasn't quite extreme cold. Um, It was more like uh, wet and cloudy and slightly chilly as a general rule. Um, I was going to say, you climate. Yeah, I think I can pick up on your accent now. So it is a Canadian accent. Yeah, I still have it. I've been in Texas for about 13 years, but still have the Canadianisms that come out every once in a while. Do, is it true that like Americans get really offended when you ask them if they can are Canadian or vice versa, like a Canadian, if they're American, is this, is this true? <laughs> so I don't imagine, I don't, I don't think Americans would be offended if someone mistook them for Canadians. Um, it's possible that some of the Northwest or Northeastern people could be kind of mistaken. You're not really going to, uh, for someone who's been like born and bred in the South, you're probably not going to make that, that mistake. Um, I think Canadians, some of them would be offended if they were called an American because they're determined to be very, very different from America. Oh my goodness. I keep thinking of, um, weird owls, you know, don't want to be a Canadian idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maple syrup, it knows what they export. (laughs) It's true. Tree curling, just like it's a real sport. (laughs) (laughs) I never understood, man. I'm I'm Canadian. I never understood carrot curling. Yeah. That's great. Ah, look, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. Um, well, um, so you're okay. You're in Tasmania now, and you've been there for about five months. You just took a call to a church there, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, it's good. Yeah, it's a uh, it's just a single parish, so it's only one. Um, in the Lutheran Church of Australia, uh, for those who don't know, we're sort of going through a big transition phase at the moment where we are quite – I mean, I'm not sure what it's like in LCMS or um, in uh, other Lutheran synods around the world, but we're, we're in a, quite a shortage of pastors at the moment. We have mm-hmm. about – I think it's about anyway three to three hundred and fifty Lutheran parishes, and um, or congregations, and the LCAs, the bishops are working out how to share parishes and pastors because we don't have enough. So what we wow. normally see is two or three congregations will make up what's called a parish, and a pastor will serve those three, and they might do two services on one Sunday and then alternate two other on the other day. So there's kind of this sharing going on and overall it's quite fruitful. It's working because of financial constraints. So it's quite unusual where I am. I only have one parish Mm -hmm. here, but, but I'm only in that parish um, half time and my other half time I'm in a school. So we have what's called Eastside Lutheran college, which is down here in Hobart. And it has 470 uh, kids from uh, prep to high school to year 12. So that keeps me very busy uh, the other days of the week. So, yeah, gotcha. it's been a joy to come here and serve and be a part of all this. That's awesome. Yeah, I know that the LCMS has some – it might not be as severe a shortage of pastors, but I know that they're, they are retiring or leaving the ministry at a greater rate than we're graduating them from seminary. Um, yeah, and I th- that's the same issue here. Exactly right. So this is a – yeah. <clears throat> So it seems like yeah. our suffering and our troubles are always, um, they're very uh, like culturally similar, uh, just 
different by degree, but never by type. I feel like we have a lot of the same mm-hmm. concerns. So, yeah, please keep us in your prayers that, you know, God will raise up pastors for his church. It's a big, yeah. 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 It's, I grew up in a Baptist pastor's home um, yeah, as a PK. So I can't imagine, honestly, serving multiple parishes or multiple churches. Like, I feel like that would be a major energy drain. It, it, uh, it could, I mean, it can be. And I think if you, I think if I wasn't a Lutheran, I guess there's a whole conversation here. Um, trying to think yeah. how to explain it before. I mean, yeah. So like, I, I, I am aware you were a Baptist before you became a Lutheran mm-hmm. and I'd like to hear more about that. And so similar for me, um, I grew up in a Pentecostal home for 20 years, uh, before I was, a, uh, I sort of went into the reformed church for about four years and then the Anglican church for about three or four years before I was like, um, self-consciously Lord, you know, God brought, you know, by conviction and confession to the Lutheran church is the short story, uh, reading the book of Concord mm-hmm. ultimately. And, uh, but, uh, I remember looking at pastors when I was younger and going, these are like superhumans. Like they're just these superhuman creatures. How do they do, how do they handle the being, pastoring churches and criticism and writing sermons every week and not, you know, um, managing your own uh, spiritual life and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I just remember thinking um, when I was 18 or 19, going, I had a lot of respect for pastors and I went, I could never do that and I never want to do that. <laughs> but, um, but I would just say in short that being a Lutheran, having the uh, being equipped that I, how I have through seminary training and the training that Lutheran pastors get, I would argue it's, it's very similar to the Roman Catholic church in terms of um, there's, you know, morning and evening prayer, the spirituality that it delivers is very similar, you know, um, teaching yeah. and instilling into a candidate delayed affirmation, all this kind of stuff that, you know, you're there to serve um, and good self-care for yourself, uh, spiritually, um, physically, these kinds of things. Uh, you know, they do teach a bit of time management, but, you know, things, all of these things aren't the exception that make up a good pastor. You know, obviously the ultimate thing is, is has God called you is the thing that, you know, do you have a, a, a call? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's Article 14, Augsburg Confession. You know, no one is to teach or preach without a, a regular call. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, can people, can pastors manage three parishes? Um, I think they can. There are other parishes in the LCA that I'm aware of that have six, like up to six congregations. One's in um, Udunda. Uh, that's wow. in the Barossa Valley, uh, the back of the Barossa. Um, that has about six congregations for just one pastor. There is an, a mega parish in the Mali. Um, shout out to uh, Luke and uh, Beck Nusky, if they're listening, um, th- they're part of what's called, uh, there's about 10 congregations in that, but it's shared between three pastors. So, wow. um, yeah, so I think it makes it harder to, to, to have intimate relationships with your people because you're not seeing them all the time. But I think when you understand ministry is word and sacrament and the essential and, and what is essential of how Christ comes to us through the means of grace and this, yeah. I think, um, you can balance it out so that you are serving your con- I mean, the congregation knows what they're receiving and, and, and how often. So yeah, as opposed to a more of a contemporary church model, which would be more like a leader is walking with their people every week and it's generally a single congregation. So it's, yeah, that's more of like a contemporary church model. 
and less mm-hmm. focus on word and sacrament. That's just what I've seen in my experience. I don't know. Like, what do you think, Micah? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> Luckily, I don't. I don't, have to... I don't think. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think there are some. I think there are some maybe pragmatic differences in how church is done. Um, in let's say the big, the big general categories of of Baptist, Pentecostal, non-denominational, evangelical, I guess, versus the liturgical traditions. Um, it doesn't like, it doesn't seem that it's less work, but it seems like it's different. So sermons are in general, I'd say, I can't speak for like all the reformed Anglicans or something. Cause I know that some of them tend towards the more reform side, but in general, it seems like sermons are shorter and obviously the, with a sacramental background, the focus of the service is different. Um, mm. so it, it does seem like there's a little bit of different focus and maybe that actually provides some, a little more leeway for, um, you know, less time in the study, less time, you know, mm. I, I'm used to like or how I grew up. It was, you know, my, my father was a pastor who preached three or four times a week, um, you know, cause multiple services for the same congregation. And then, you know, in the, in the kind of reformed Baptist tradition that I was in for about a decade, the, ser- the sermons were, you know, 40, 50 minutes long sometimes. Um, so, I don't know. It's interesting. Ge- I think that um, I was just topical? talking to a friend of mine who, like, would you say uh, sermon-wise, like, it depends. Like so Topical or exegetical, generally? They're generally like the flavors of um, yeah, reforms. Uh, so, in the some um, of the Baptist and some of the Reformed areas, it's more expository, like walking oh, yeah. verse yeah. by verse. Um and then the church I was in for about 10 years, it really wasn't expository. It was more, more topical, slight exegetical, you know. Um, Have you seen that? But yeah, I think of, there was a difference. Uh, um, I think it was John MacArthur. And it just says something like, <clears throat> um, let me give you a topical sermon of why expository preaching is the best form of preaching or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I'll pay that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the only yeah. the only drawback, or not the only drawback, but the major drawback I could see is what you mentioned: how you don't get to know the people as as much because you're you're more mm. passing through a little bit more. Mm. Um, well, you certainly it's certainly a, a cultural thing that you need to. Just, I think you just need to be aware of that context. So. Um, I mean, for me, where I was in Gladstone uh, six months ago, I had three individual congregations. Um, I had Gladstone, which was a standalone, and then I was in Rockhampton which uh, and Yapoon, which were an hour and four, Rockhampton's an hour and 40 away, and then Yapoon's another 45 minutes further along. And so hmm. I, you just need to be intentional um, if you're up there on a Sunday, you might do a pastoral visit in the afternoon, or if you're up there for a day, you might visit two or three people. Um, and so just being intentional with your time. Um, so it doesn't mean yeah. that you can't walk with them. You just need to make the effort to go, okay, I don't yeah. physically live in your city, but I will come and see you still. I'm still the pastor here. Um, and people understand yeah. that. So it's just, it's just, uh, yeah, the dynamics. Um, can I ask you a question? Um, yeah, you sure. were, yeah, Baptist home. What, so what, um, what was it for you that drew you to the Lutheran church? Cause I know, uh, for those who are listening, mm. I know that, um, 
you and I, we go back at least a couple years now, and we've been mm-hmm. a part of uh, Lutheran Meme Lord councils and uh, <laughs> different messenger groups. And so it's been a joy to get to know you and a bunch of other guys. Um, who am I thinking of here? Uh, William Metz? Is that the mm-hmm. name? Yeah. Uh, so yep. there's all these different Lutheran guys. I still can't pinpoint who runs each actual page because it hasn't got the name. But so yeah. anyway, but I know they're all in there and you can always throw a meme in, but it's just been lovely to kind of like chat with you guys and um, talk about, I guess, like the culture and the dynamics of the Lutheran church and major American contro- yeah. contro- controversies. But yeah, what's been your journey like in a nutshell, like coming from that to where you are? Well, I mean, I was, I was a fairly happy Baptist for about 30 years. Um, and never convictionally, like theologically, I wasn't... Uh, on the lookout for anything new. Right. And I had a Lutheran coworker who, um, he and I, like, I knew he was a Christian. He knew I was a Christian and we were the only, really the only guys on the team and the only Christians on the team or, you know, that we knew of. And so we were just, we hung out a bit and we chatted at work and that sort of thing. And he asked me what my church taught about baptism. And I was like, well, you know, it's, let me go pull the doctrinal statement. It's a step of obedience. You know, it's it's our first step of obedience after we're, you know, we're showing everyone that we've gotten saved and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, and I was I was saved at four. I had a conversion experience at four and was baptized at like, I think, five, five or six. Um, so, you know, that was and I went to a Baptist Bible college and, you know, that was the water I was swimming in for a long time. So um, I I reluctantly, I, I kind of studied, you know, what Lutherans said, and I listened to a few podcasts and that sort of thing because we were just we would talk on, off and on about that, and we had a we had other relation, you know, relationship other than that, but we like to debate theology and that sort of thing. So, uh, long long story short, it took about two to three years, and I was kind of reluctant because to move from one church tradition to another is kind of like uprooting, you know, it's in a sense, you're uprooting your, your life. So I was, um, I wasn't really eager to become Lutheran, but I became convinced of baptismal regeneration, the real presence of Christ in the sacrament, um, those two major things. And then, and then from there digging into the history of the church and seeing how, um, in my opinion, Lutherans hold history and scripture in a, in what I would call harmony, or at least they hold it in tension. Well, um, versus, you know, not to, not to throw Baptists under the bus completely because there are some, but Mm. in general, Baptists, how I grew up anyway, they hold scripture very highly and history. They don't even care about it. Like it doesn't matter because Mm. it contradicts them. And then there are other denominations that hold history either equally or higher than scripture. And I don't think that's correct either. So long story short, that's kind of how I reluctantly came around to uh, being, you know, a Lutheran sacramental and that sort of thing. So can I ask you, Oh, this is good. This is really good. Um, So you were married at the time when you did change churches or the journey towards changing churches. Can I ask you what, like, what, what was your wife thinking when you were having these conversations? Um, what was her journey? Because <laughs> this is always the question, like, for, for yeah. all the guys that are listening and for people who are like, you know, I'm thinking of changing denominations <clears throat> and like, you, like, and I tell young guys, I go, you can't just do something without 
bringing your wife on this? And I remember, because like, for me, in one sentence, like when I said to my wife, I said, look, um, I want to resign from this Anglican youth ministry role. I, I love the role, but I felt called to study, go back to study for three more years and pursue ordination. And I said, I won't leave unless you come with me and support me on this, you know. And we had so many conversations. Yeah. So um, what was it like for you? Yeah, it's like... like that's a good question. That's a really good question. So my wife is not convictionally Lutheran, okay. um, but she is very godly and submissive. Um, so thanks be to God. She, yeah. It's so it's a good. So my advice would be, if you're going through a intense study period, like I did for two years, don't do what I did. Bring your wife into it much much earlier. Um, bring your wife into it and communicate better than I did. Like, it wasn't like I didn't communicate about this stuff, but she wasn't super interested. Um, and so I was just kind of doing, doing my own thing. And, you know, and we had a lot of discussions. Um, and there were other, there were other reasons for us to leave the church we were in. For me, okay. the Lutheran and sacramental convictions were a big part of that, but that wasn't the only issue. Okay. Um, okay. so, so the leaving part was not as difficult necessarily. Um, even though we were, you know, I kind of slow walked it to be honest. And I met with, um, one of the pastors at the church, our former church as well, you know, and talked, talked some stuff out, you know, just cause I wanted to, if I was going to leave a church, I didn't want it to be the consumeristic kind of church shopper because in the, the Bible belt where I am, there's people who go to a different church every week. You know, they, they don't okay. like something at one church and they're just quick to go to the next one. So I, I definitely didn't want to just, you know, quickly cast off what, um, what I'd been in for, you know, almost a decade. I wanted to do it That's carefully good. and, That's you know, good. so. I mean, like one of the things I heard, like, cause I yeah. the same, like I, I was leaving the Melbourne Anglican diocese to, to go to Adelaide and like again, like I didn't know anyone in the Lutheran Church at all. I didn't know any people. I was I only yeah. knew that I that that this is what I believed in terms of Red Book of Concord. <clears throat> so in one sense, I believed before I belong before I belong. That's a <clears throat> and so, but um, but one of the things I read before, which I did a lot, I did a, it was very slow, and I and I remember reading um, Peter Adams. He's like the the Herman Zussa of the Anglican world in the Melbourne diocese. Uh, he's, he's quite old now. He's still alive. He would have to be in his like late mid nineties, almost. He's very old. He's a scholar, ex principal of Ridley college, which is a um, named after Nicholas Ridley, a bishop, Anglican bishop in Oxford who mm. was executed in 1552. I think it was anyway. Uh, Peter Adams wrote, and I quote, he said, if we are to leave a church or a denomination, it is better to leave in sorrow rather than in pride. And I think yeah. I, I took that with me because I think um, if you leave in pride, it it kind of allows the fact that, you know, this whole like I'm superior or, or I'm better in some way. I've come to some sort of actual, you know, mm -hmm. and um, you all suck and, you know, whatever. And it, it just, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's, yeah it, it, it doesn't do anyone any favors, you know, and so. Yep. Um, and it sounds like, again, yeah, if anyone's thinking of doing that, I would say, yeah, always slow, methodical, gracious, yeah. uh, contemplative, 
and with and even and with your pastor's blessing, even if you disagree, you know, like better go. This is yeah. come with me on this journey. Um, yeah, that's a, well, that's good. I think and it, it sounds like everyone's different, as from what I can see. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and your children are like doing well in the in the parish that you're at. Um, what's yeah. the, which parish you at in Dallas? There, we are in a a suburb, like a, a suburb that's kind of north of Dallas. Um, and it got a good church here that, you know, like the pastors, one of the big things I think, uh, is they know my name, right? I know them. I can, I can text them. Beautiful. I can meet up with them. Um, they're very available. You know, it's great. It is fantastic. It really is. Um, yeah. So, and I, cause I was at a mega church before and it was, you know, there was good, we had great relationships with a lot of the people there. Um, and then, you know, in our small groups and home groups and that sort of thing that we were part of still, you know, great, even best friends with, um, several of them hang out all the time. Um, that's good. but you know, there wasn't, it was, it was a massive church, you know, that you, you, you don't have the pastor's number, you know, you see them on once a week. This is the thing, right? This is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so different though, isn't it? Like, it's and a very different well. style, yeah. That you know, the pastor's the guy up the front. He preaches. We listen, and you don't have any connection with him at all, except that you're at his church. And then, as opposed to like, I make sure that I'm available to my people, and that I yeah. visit if people need me. Like I, I that that I, that I make sure that I can go, um, and that you know the, that the pastor isn't just the guy at the front, but he's actually sitting in my kitchen and he's listening to me talk about something. You know yep. that there is this connection that um that you are there to shepherd them when they need it. So it is very different. I mean, this is the. <clears throat> I mean, I I I guess you found the same thing, Micah. Is that you know when I came to the Lutheran Church, I noticed, even though I hadn't experienced it and I wasn't aware of it, but at least culturally, there is a huge culture of pastoral visitation in the homes mm-hmm. that pastors visit their people and they they shepherd with them, they walk with them. So there is that there, <clears throat> but I. I hadn't experienced that at all ever in the Pentecostal church. Um, so yeah, yeah, very different. Yeah. The, early on when I, there was a couple of different churches that I was talking to pastors at a couple of different Lutheran churches. One is about 30 miles away and a friend of mine goes there. Um, and that one, that pastor was like, Oh yeah, I'll drive. Like I'll, I'll come and I'll come and disciple you. I'll walk you through, you know, the small catechism, large cat, you know, he was offering to drive like 30 miles, you know, 60 miles extra a week just to come and like, you know, disciple us, you know? And I was like, I was like, wow. Okay. Like that's, that's awesome. It's like, you know, it's huge. It's beautiful. Cause it kind of shows like, especially if you're like, I've been a bit beat up, like um, spiritually or whatever you just like when someone says, I'm going to go out of my way to serve you um, that love, like you feel that love of Christ. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's, I will say it's it's awesome in I, I know a few other people who have come from different different backgrounds, not necessarily the same ones, but there is a and I can't speak for every Lutheran parish, right? But there is a very huge culture of like the pastors are there to serve the congregation on behalf of Christ. Um, and one of the coolest ways is like, you know, hearing the absolution every week. Um, and that sort of thing. Like, and that, that, that seems to flow into how they pastor their people too. So I've, 
very much enjoyed my time uh, here. <laughs> Needless oh, to say, so yeah, that's cool. That's so, so you grew up. You, see, you mentioned you grew up Pentecostal, then, huh? Yeah, that's right. So uh, in what's known as the um, well, it was then known as AOG, Assemblies of God. That's like the wider umbrella of Pentecostal churches. I don't know if that's in the States. Um, maybe it is. Mm. And that later became the ACC, Australian Christian Churches. And so that's like pretty much all Pentecostal churches majority. And like Hillsong was in that, in under that umbrella <clears throat> up until recently, like only about, I don't know, is it five years ago where Hillsong mm. branched out and became its own denomination? As you do, like, we're so big, we're just, we're doing it on our own now. <laughs> yeah, we're fine. We don't need anybody else. <laughs> it's like, we're good, we're good. You guys can join us. It's like, what? <laughs> you see um, how well that went. <laughs> oh, man, I'm still like, I don't know about you, but I still, like, I, I'll just read the news and I'll be like, I'm kind of like, there's like a new, there's a new scandal, there's a new something. I mean, is it Carl Lentz is like, um, he's doing a documentary on his, fall from grace at hillsong like he's doing an interview and is he getting paid for that? This, oh, that this is these are the questions i ask i'm just exactly right i'm kind of like i'm like now like the way he's speaking is really humble but i think the main thing and i'll say this because I, I i i think i think viewers should hear this stuff it's really important um <clears throat> if someone commits adultery as a pastor um can you be can you be restored to be in the ministry the short answer is yes but it needs to be really methodical. And, and I, I would say, well, how long is the time between when a person sins like this in such a powerful way? Obviously, they're sinning against their wife if they're married, <clears throat> betrayed the trust of a congregation. Um, now, what, from what I've seen in my experience in pastoral ministry, and I can think of at least one or two ca cases that I am aware of, uh, one was in the Anglican church where a, a man committed adultery a pastor, an ordained priest, um, he was restored to ministry five years later. And um, I think it was more of an academic role when he came back. And so so that's one example. But what I've noticed, if again, if people are listening to these kinds of things, and I think it's important to know, in Carl Lentz's case, it, um, I'm aware that he uh, committed adultery with uh, one woman who wasn't a Christian. And so that there's that case. It was ongoing for a while. But the really concerning one is that he had uh, – I think it was, uh, it, he, it's alleged that he was um, accused of sexual abuse of his, uh, his housekeeper. So there's a woman that was working for him. And that's the one that concerns me the most because um, in the church, uh, if you, it's, it's, it's one thing to have a sexual relationship with someone who's not part of your parish, who's not under mm -hmm. your authority. And so there's like this, um, abusive an actual professional relationship so this is lady works yeah. for him in his home so um <clears throat> and so when you become a pastor and again if some of you out there who are seminarians when you become a pastor especially in the lutheran church of australia and i know in other denominations they make you fill out a form and it says you know have you ever uh had sex with somebody or a sexual or abused a relationship uh sexually with someone who is under your authority or under your professional care that's the big one because if you yeah. answer yes to that <clears throat> Uh, there's no way that you would be employed um, or, or called to be a pastor. It's huge. And so you can't move around without this being flagged. Um, so it's, again, so it's, it's one thing because um, anyway, there's a whole bunch of reasons I could go into in terms of like the relationship yeah. is destroyed. So for me, watching this whole thing unfold with Carl Lentz and um, 
I mean, look, even Brian Houston's in question with his whole, um, what was he? Uh, he was drinking and taking drugs and things like this, um, legal drugs, but they were, yeah, not prescribed. Yeah. Taking drugs and then, you know, being in a woman's room with her for 40 minutes alone. Um, but nothing happened, you know? Nothing. I, I, right. I, don't, I don't know. It's just, so it's just, yeah. um, and that person was also a member of his congregation. So you have this, um, uh, abuse of power in a relationship and it's, it's that's the most dangerous thing so i think mm. you know uh, so is it so apparently so carl's been restored to um to the pastoral ministry by todd bentley of all people um fresh fire ministries uh, that's like all kinds of issues there there's like he's he's associated well, yeah, that, with the toronto blessing well and he no himself <laughs> had multiple affairs as far as i know ah yes correct yeah. yes well, because I, I know of, I know there's one high profile guy in the who was in the LCMS as a pastor who I know he committed adultery and I think he's written about it. He is not been a, as far as I know, the LCMS doesn't restore people to pastoral ministry if they've committed adultery. I can't speak okay. of them officially, um, but at least the the one the one that I actually know of fits that, and even he's in a bit of a teaching role and theological role, which some would say is the ministry of the word. Um, even though he doesn't preach from LCMS pulpits. So even that is, mm. a, there's some people who have a problem with that. Um, you know, um, him being kind of restored to, even though it's not a divine call necessarily, it's, it's like a layman doing theology with the tools and the education that he had from his mm. seminary training and pastoral experience. Um, but I don't know. That's, uh, I think that's a tricky it's, one. It, yeah. <clears throat> it, I mean, it, and uh, look, you've raised all the right questions, Micah. Like it's, I mean, like the bishops of the church are looking at how to answer these questions, you know? So when these things happen, there's no yeah. like script of like, okay, um, a, then B, then C, then D it's <clears throat> yeah. Each case is taken on its own merit. Um, and that's the thing, you know, it's like, when there's marriage breakdown, what is the process to return? Um, each party is guilty in a more or lesser way, but it's but it's just one of those things. So, yeah. So look, <clears throat> this is the challenges of the church, you know. Like, yeah. be a pastor, this is what you have to look at dealing. It requires wisdom and patience, and um, I mean, I would pastoral. have more respect for the yeah yeah. I have more respect go. for the guy who took five years to be restored than. Mm. Because I, I know a few, not in the Lutheran church, and I don't think they're not Anglican or whatever either, but they were defrocked by their denomination for adulterous affairs. And then they just go ahead and start up a non-denom church, like, you know, six yes. months later or a year later, you know, what, like, what else are yes. they going to do? You know, um, they've got to, they, they well, can't work fast food, you know, they don't want to work fast food, though. So. Well, Yeah. I mean, and, and there's a few, yeah, there's a few other guys out there. I think, is it, um, is it Chavidian or is that his yeah. name? That's the guy, Billy Graham, mm -hmm. Billy Graham, Billy Graham's grandson, I believe. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Excuse me. Um, yep. yeah. And I just find like, I, I, like I follow his stuff as well. And like, I, like I'll listen, I'll check it out, have a look. Um, and I find that there's this constant culture of like, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a sinner. I've failed, but it like, yes, he's saying the right things, but it like, it's, it's putting his sin 
like, yeah, no, I don't want to break the eighth commandment. It is of my impression that 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 there is a glorification of sin to bring people in in one sense. Like, <clears throat> like he keeps putting his sin on a pedestal. Like this, this is just my opinion, by the way. But from what yeah. I see, it's like it's just this constant. Like every second post is like, when I committed adultery, this happened and this happened, and I was broken. And it's like, okay, we all know that you've committed adultery, but rather than giving your testimony every single time, why don't you just preach the word faithfully? <clears throat> Which I think is what I've noticed is the difference culturally. Being a Lutheran, um, uh, not necessarily, you know, it's like, there is a time and place to give your testimony. And to talk about things and sin, and obviously it's, it's important. But I think if you just if that's all that's all that I'm seeing from that guy. <clears throat> so I just kind of go, dude. Uh, but he had a similar thing, like because he committed adultery and he started I think, yeah. his own. He was Presbyterian, and then he's got his yep. own church now. And it, it just gets a bit old. <clears throat> but that's um, who. That's where I was talking. I was referring yeah. to, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah and like just playing the like the cultural card that your Billy Graham's grandson wins a lot of hearts and minds just because of who you are. And I think that's the that's the most dangerous thing. Um, again, for people who are listening, like you're not a pastor because of who you are. You know, you're a pastor by the grace of God. You are called by God's grace. It, it, is, it is a gift of grace to be ordained and to serve. Um, who you are and where you're from is irrelevant. Yeah. In, and in fact, the Bible tells us to make ourselves nothing. You know, um, what is it? 1 Corinthians 3. Who, what is Apollos? And who is Paul except ministers through who you receive the word of God? And so mm. <clears throat> um, I know this interview is meant to be about music and stuff, so we can bring it back like this way and I'll go. Um, as a pastor, I'm reminded all the time to not elevate myself. Like it's okay to receive affirmation and be encouraged. And I go, amen, like praise be to God, thank you. And I, that's fine. Mm. But I'm very careful all the time to kind of go, you know what, like I just, I'm just not in it for the glory. Like, I don't need the glory, like, you know, um, Christ, that's all Christ, you know what I mean? And so um, it is a tough thing if you, you know, to shun the limelight, like to, to kind of shunning, shunning the limelight constantly. Um, it's okay to, to receive affirmation, like we all, we all need encouragement. But it's, it's, I think if you're, if, you, if, if you're one that's easily tempted, then man, don't. <laughs> Don't yeah. get into pastoral ministry. You know, it, it is a tough. It can be a tough gig. And so you need good spiritual disciplines that are going to guide you along so that you don't fall into that. You know, like, um, I will, it's funny. I, I remember Mark Driscoll. I mean, before he fell the first time, uh, well, the only time that I made the major time. And he, when he used to um, vet pastors, for the Acts 29, which which he created, right? And um, uh, he's obviously not on that anymore. But I remember when he created Acts 29 and he used to vet pastors personally with his team and he'd have their wife there and he would ask them like big questions and go, <clears throat> you know, okay, so you want to play in a church in wherever, Arizona or wherever it was. And he would say, quote, um, you know, uh, candidate so-and-so, what is the sin in your life that's going to bring your ministry undone? You know, like, what is it for you that, that, that you know, is going to um, cause you to, to stumble? And I think, you know, the church that are, the Lutheran Church of Australia, they, they pretty much ask that too, but not with those <laughs> words. <laughs> um, and so you, you really need to sort of kind of lay it all out. Um, and that they really want to know, do you have things in place so that you're not tempted, so that you're not going to end up like Carl Lentz, you're not going to end up like Brian Houston, you're not going to end up like these massive figures that have been put on a pedestal culturally, but really... Um, 
I mean, I'm reminded of like, is it which psalm? Is it Psalm 79? You know, the Lord is the one who exalts one and and brings down another in His own timing. And I just mm-hmm. think, um, yeah, there's a lot I could say to this. Sorry, um, but that's uh, great. Uh, I think that um, even though, so I do do music. Uh, we, we can bring it around this way. So as a pastor, is what I do full time. But on the side, I do play music, and um, uh, I love producing music that is um, uh, like I. Uh, brings people uh, to God's word and it gets them to think about um, who they are in Christ and what the gospel is, you know, for them. Uh, So I used to do punk rock music when I was younger, like from like, you know, 16 to 22. And then from about 22 when I got married to about 20, how old was I? I don't know, 33 or something like that for about about, about about a 10 year period. I did Christian hip hop music my wife and I for a few years then we had kids and then I did stuff solo under uh Nobi One was my rap name because my last name's Noble you can see the name here so everyone was in uh high school would be like yo Nobi what up and so I, so I started calling myself <laughs> Nobi One you know so I you, know, I you know I used to do graffiti when I was a teenager <clears throat> and then I uh through all that hip-hop I ended up becoming a pastor like ultimately I was studying and I um, was doing gospel ministry, uh, evangelism, basically, like in like a parachurch style ministry, just visiting schools, visiting churches, preaching the gospel. But long term, I discovered that the church doesn't need more rappers. The church doesn't need more celebrities. The church doesn't need any of this. What the church needs is pastors and shepherds mm. and godly men and women to serve in their roles and disciple the church. Um, catechize the church and bring Christ through the means of grace. This is what the church needs. And I think that's where I was at. And then, um, and now that I've been out, I, like I pretty much didn't do any music when I was in seminary at the Lutheran seminary in uh, Adelaide for three years. And then when I got out, I, I started doing some stuff again because I thought I, I really kind of gave it all up in a way. And that since I've been out, uh, I didn't really do anything in Gladstone. I, I, I did a bit of um, jazz actually. Uh, jazz and funk so my daughter and i have a, a group called uh two unorganized two unorganized and the word organ is all in capitals and it's basically hammond organ which is made by uh lawrence hammond from chicago yeah and uh she plays drums and so we do jazz funk stuff but um and then when i moved to gladstone sorry from gladstone to hobart about three four months ago i was like why don't like now that i'm in a school and i've got like 470 almost 500 kids um i was like what like how can i reach these kids because all these kids started coming up to me and going oh pastor peter hey like oh i found your youtube channel you know oh yeah yeah and I, like you know and like i've sub- <laughs> like, and i've subscribed like i found you i googled you and i'm like interesting so like so many of these kids like i would say 90 percent of them would say that they don't identify as christian and they don't understand uh christian culture or anything so so basically, I was kind of like, God, what do you want me to do? Like, how can I reach these kids? Like, you know, if, if I can't hang out with them after school, because you know, we have a professional relationship, how can I reach them? And, I, and then I was like, you know what? I, maybe I could make music, music and videos that would actually reach them. So I started recording punk rock Christian, like Lutheran worship tracks um, called uh, Water and Word Project. And... I was basically like, so I've, so I've got the skills to write this stuff, to record this stuff. And only recently in the last like two weeks, I bought a, a Panasonic 
GH5, which records in 4K. And I said, hey, why don't we do some video clips, like some live stuff? So we're starting to do a bit of that. And um, so, so kids, the average kid in this school and also in this community who won't come to a confirmation class, who, whose parents won't take them to a catechesis class, but they're going to click on this YouTube video and they're going to watch what is baptism from the Lutheran perspective. And they're going to watch it through this music. And so I kind of go, okay, Lord, take this vehicle and do what you need to do with it. I don't know. But I, but I would love to see kids like evangelized and see where that goes. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. anyway, so that's, you know, any questions? <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, so your project that you're starting to write for is called water and word, right? Yeah. It's just like a, just like a, I mean, yeah. In terms of Lutheran theology anyway, that's right. Just mm -hmm. something on the side. Um, and there's only one link for those who are listening. There's only one website where you can get that. And that's nobi1.bandcamp.com. That's it. I don't have, like you We're can see, find a few things on YouTube, but that's the yeah. page where you can get all my music for nothing. You just download it. So, um, but essentially we'll it's like the small catechism yeah. put to music. Okay. That's cool. In, in, yeah, we're definitely going we'll link the Bandcamp and your YouTube channel in the description. Yeah. Um, so that people can check that out. So, how many so are you planning on doing? How many tracks are you planning on doing? What's the. Well, we did an EP, oh. which is like five or six tracks. Um, but uh, it's. Um, so, so most of those, so the recording I did like myself, cause I'm a multi-instrumentalist, um, but I'm teaching my kids to play some of those songs. Um, and we play them in the chapel during worship sometimes, uh, for our school chapel. Like, so, so we're doing music, which is a bit unorthodox, but the lyrics are highly orthodox and they're highly consistent mm -hmm. with the book of Concord. And so, I don't know, I guess, you know. I'm just confessing now. Um, I've always been a bit of a, um, since I became a Lutheran, I've really appreciated hymnody and traditional hymns and, 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 and highly liturgical. Um, but I've been, uh, while I appreciate that, I think on one hand, who am I trying to reach here? Like, you know, um, I'm trying to reach like these young kids who have no Christian background, but they have to go to chapel and they have to go to church. And I'm like, is a hymn going to reach these guys? It may, it may very well, but um, it doesn't mean we completely throw them out. So we do sing some traditional songs um, in a more contemporary form, but the liturgy is generally quite uh, traditional in the thing. But there's just, but mm. this is kind of just, I'm sort of exploring and experimenting. I, I really kind of just want yeah. to see how the gospel can go out. So anyway, so that's kind of where it is. Mm. So, um, but I don't want to, uh, yeah, I was probably the first person that would like diss anyone who wouldn't sing hymns. I think it was, uh, Vernon Grieger, one of my, one of my friends, uh, you would know him. He, um, he used to say something like, if it's not hymns, it's sins. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and I, I, I think I sent him a, like a, a, a gif on, uh, there, was, there was a little group. There was a bunch of us. It was myself. There was Jai Rayner. There was Duncan Geldenhoyce, uh, and there was Vernon Grieger. And we were in this messenger group, and they came to visit me once in Gladstone. And um, they drove up, and I think they were like, I, I sent them this this gif, and it had, a, is it the Wayne's World guys, like the gif of Wayne's World in the car doing this? And, and then mm -hmm. Vernon's like, 
Yes, like this, but with hymns. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it'll like, take some, like, it'll take some respect. heat from the it takes some heat from the trads. Um, yeah. There, oh my goodness. I, I do like to poke fun occasionally and say that some people have the Lutheran regulative principle. Um, and what's, with, what is that by definition? So the regulative principle is primarily a reformed conviction in that they will not do anything in worship that the Bible does not explicitly instruct them to do in worship. So a lot of them oh, would be okay. psalm singing churches only or yep. no no church calendar, no liturgy. I mean, they have their own, obviously, order of service and liturgy, but yep. they would be very anti-Catholic in a lot of ways. Um, okay, yeah. That's, that's how it manifests itself most often. Um, yep. But the the big thing is, you know, there's there's normative versus regulative. So regulative is only what is explicitly instructed of us. Can we do in worship? And the normative would be anything that's not prohibited. We can do essentially. So a, lot, a little more Christian freedom on that side. Yeah. Well, this but, is the thing that I yeah I think you've you you basically brought the whole argument into context there. Um, and I guess for us, what is it? It's article. 10 formula of concord adiaphora and uh basically we're free to change things outside of the essentials you know um but i would just say that you know as lutherans <clears throat> do we do that well we can't well well we do sometimes things um should we do it well culturally there needs to be a, co a cultural a cultural appropriation of certain things but the key word that it uses i mean so there's two things i would say St. Paul writes, do everything for the sake of good order, you know? And so it's as Lutherans, we do, we only do things for good order, like at least traditional Lutherans who under, who, who want to stand firm on, you know, God's word and tradition. So can we change things? Yes, we are free to, um, so far mm -hmm. as it brings good order. Um, but the other thing is, um, <clears throat> uh, what, what was I going to say? Yeah, you basically, you, you don't want to step on people's consciences, and so I, I, uh, I think it, everywhere you go in the world, there's going to be different cultural appropriations and customs to that place. Um, but what are the essential things that are there in terms of, I mean, I think it's really, what is it, Acts 2.42, which is, you know, the apostles came together, they celebrated the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and the prayers. I mean, look, you know, there's your liturgy 2,000 mm -hmm. years before it's time it's beautiful uh, but it's still based on old testament worship of like you know they've got psalms in there they would have yeah. uh, some singing and things so you know um but what you don't see you know, is like <laughs> i was just gonna say like what you don't see like, th th there was a great meme um have you seen that meme and it's like uh it's normally comes out people uh, the meme lords normally release it around like pentecost which so it could be coming up and then it says something like and peter stood up like like uh, like he did in acts 2 and he says okay john hit that piano chord for me. I'm going to preach this word, you know? <laughs> it's like, I've got an altar call coming. <laughs> can, we, uh, can we lower the lights yeah. here? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right, you know? I mean, look. <laughs> look the, yeah, the key, the key right. is they got to pad the prayer. They got to start that, you know? Yeah. That's right. It's like, well, well don't like, you know, they, they had an organ back then, you know? Yeah, that's they right. Definitely, yeah. 
Well, I think they did. Was it 300 years? Yeah, the organ did exist 300 years before Christ, apparently. It was like a water pipe organ, apparently. Are you serious? Different types. <laughs> yeah, like you can look, you can research it. Well, there was a type of organ. It's not exactly the same, but it was generally mm-hmm. water run, I think is one of them. Hmm. Um, and then they That's ended funny. up having like, I don't know, someone like pulling a lever and pumping air into it manually would be the more advanced one. And it wasn't until what, what, I don't know, like the industrial age, like I think the 19th century, they first started having electrical, electrical ones that were, had a big mechanical pumps, you know, for, for that hundred, 200 year period. So it's amazing. Yeah. Look, you know, um, the churches worship like this for a couple thousand years. Is it how we have to worship everywhere? The short answer is no, but we need to know why we worshiped like that and what it did. I think it was at GK Chesterton, you know, don't take down this fence, like which represents tradition, like unless you know Mm -hmm. what it was for, you know, when you know what it's for, we can talk about taking it down by all means. Like I find myself, um, uh, (laughs) like just whoever I'm chatting with other pastors that I've known for years and years and years. And they're like, Oh, that pastor Peter Noble guy, he's had a, he's had a traditional enlightenment or a traditional reformation, you know? And I'm like, well, actually it's nothing extreme. It's just, I asked myself, um, so like when I was at Ridley, they used to have this culture where you, when you're sitting in the, in the, in the theological classroom, learning a lesson, um, they had a culture where someone would, someone, either the teacher or a student would make a theological claim and then someone would say, without a doubt, they would say, uh, which was a bit extreme. They all go, uh, yeah, chapter and verse, thanks. You know, mm. and they're asking, like, where in the Bible is it, right? And so I was that guy. I was that guy when I went to the Lutheran seminary for three years. And I was constantly like, oh, so they're lighting the Paschal candle. I'm like, chapter and verse, thanks. And then one of the lecturers would go, well, it's not in Scripture, but it, it, but it, but it's deeply embedded in the theology of the word of God. So they would say uh, Paschal comes from the word Pascha, which means um, Passover in Greek. And Jesus is the Passover lamb based on Exodus, the angel of the Lord passing over the houses. The judgment of God passes over the homes with the blood on the doorsteps. And Jesus now by his blood, God's judgment passes over us. And we light this candle uh, at the birth of Christ in East. Uh, and then we extinguish the candle, the candle when he's, um, uh, executed on the cross, and then we light it again when he rises again on Good uh, um, Sunday, uh, the Easter Sunday, and then we extinguish the candle when he ascends into heaven. So if, during uh, the time after Pentecost, um, mm-hmm. we don't have the Paschal candle. So that just, but it's like it has a teaching function, right? I don't. Know, so did you find this when you like these are all traditions that I was never aware of growing up in the churches I had? Did you were you surprised when you seen the, these sort of practices, Micah, in becoming a Lutheran? What was your yeah? Journey like? Yeah, like it, there's a lot, there's a lot that the Lutheran Church does, and I'm, I guess, to another a certain extent, Anglicans is they have a similar tradition or heritage. There's a lot that there's a lot of symbolism that is not present in um, other denominations in the same way. Um, yeah. So the candles, the the liturgical colors, the um, you know the the vestments or the alb or whatever, you know, whatever they're called that the pastors wear, you know, um, even, even the collar, stole. right. Yeah. Alb and stole, shirts, the, the, yeah. The, the clericals. Um, yeah. Like chasubles. So all these actually, things, yeah. Would you mind walking us through the, what the clerical collar? 
Oh my goodness. Uh, I can. This one, I mean, I actually, yeah. I can't tell you exactly. I believe it. I'll stand corrected. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, I mean, personally, I wear it because it's the my daily uniform that I have when, I, when I'm doing pastoral office duties, um, when I'm not leading public worship services. But from what I understand, it comes from <clears throat> uh, the Anglican tradition. That's what I, a couple hundred years ago, only like two, maybe 250, 300 years ago. And I think it used to be a white clerical thing all the way around, which some still do. And it really, yeah. from what I understand, was only used to identify the clergy. So that's how what I, I understand it to be. Um, and there's been different uniforms through the centuries, through, through, the, through the, the millennia of what pastoral uh, clergy would wear. I mean, you look at the, um, the early church iconography, and you can see that the pastors would pretty much wear, uh, they would wear, the, uh, it looks like, it's like an owl basically with a stole on it. I mean, it's like uh, probably more Eastern Orthodox style with like the crosses on it. And so they would wear that as their daily duties every day. And I think Greek and, um, Greek and um, Orthodox and Assyrian Orthodox and all the other different Orthodox groups that are there, they still often wear a daily dress, which is just like a black, um, what's it called again? You've got the alb and the black is the... Is it a cassock um, or something? A cassock, that's right, yeah. And so if they were leading a service, they might put a surplus over the top of it, the white thing um, over the top, mm. which is basically represents, um, everything represents something, but it's normally the, um, yeah. the black is your sin and the white alb going over the top or the surplus would represent Christ's righteousness covers you um, as you lead services, you know, um, you represent the office of Christ or the office of the ministry, aka mm. the office of the keys. And so you're ordained yeah. into this office. And so when you wear this, it's a symbol of the office that you hold. Um, you're speaking in the place of Christ when you lead the church, not to be confused with replacing Christ, you know. Um, and as you were saying at the beginning of this interview, um, it, it, it reflects very powerfully when we do the Lutheran liturgy. And so when there's confession absolution and I'll stand up and I'll say, um, when I'm about to absolve the congregation, I'll say, um, um, I as a called and ordained servant of the word, by virtue of my office, um, I absolve you of all your sins, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's very, you don't hear that language, first person singular, mm -hmm. I I forgive you all your sins. And so yeah. I've, I, um, I wrote a whole, I, yeah, I've heard stories, not happening to me, but I've heard of stories where a person has stood up in the congregation, someone who was visiting, and went, who do you think you are <laughs> to, to forgive this congregation, yeah. right? Now, that, now, that's true because the way that that person is reacting is if he is coming from the Jewish perspective in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus says, what's easier, if I forgive this man, the lame man who was lowered through the roof, if I forgive this man his sins, or say, get up and walk. Now, it's easier to say, I forgive you. And he says, so that you may know that... Um, that you know uh, that, that that the Son of God has the authority to forgive sins. I say to you, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And he does that, right? Um, so the way mm -hmm. that this guy's reacting to a pastor in a church is how the Jews are reacting. Like, who does he think he is? Is, is he God? Now that's the way that most Protestants generally react um, if they're not familiar with the office of the ministry. Like you would have that background. Yeah. I've got that background. However, it would be blasphemy to say I forgive you in the place of God if there was not a direct divine commandment to do so, and that comes from Matthew 16, 18, 
and from John 20, 21 to 23, where Jesus gives the office mm-hmm. of the keys to the church. So, that, yeah, this, yeah, you guys can go look it up. I'm talking to you people. I would say, yeah, that's a, that's a great thing. I think the, you already kind of dove into that um, because that's very jarring for the regular kind of pr- generic Protestant, right, of non-sacramental at least. Um, yes, because they'll Definitely. they'll have that reaction like no only God can forgive sins so what who you know and they might not be they might not be defensive or or aggressive saying who do you think you are but they might be saying that's incorrect because only Jesus can forgive so mm. and from what I understand what you mentioned you know it is related to the office of the keys because he and jump correct me if I'm wrong but when he gives the office of the keys to the church to the apostles yeah. and through yeah. them to the church. Um, Correct. Correct. That is, that is the function that is happening there is because, and what is it? Um, after he came back from the cross, was it? No, no, it was, it was before uh, immediately before he was going. Well, it was before he was crucified. And then after, yeah. he, after he rose again, which is the John 20 passage, just before he ascends okay. into heaven. Yeah, so in, you, in the right in both of them. Okay, I'll take that. So in the lead up, though, <laughs> to, the, to the, the cross, like he's like, I'm going to shed my blood and atone for the sins of the world. And leading up there, when you see with the Office of the Keys and the Lord's Supper, it w- and it was all... And then, of course, afterwards with the Great Commission, it was, now that I have secured this forgiveness, this atonement, well, how do I then, up. how does this then get to the world? And yes. it's th- it's through the church. And that's that's one thing um, we were discussing in a, in a theological Facebook group. The question was, what is the church's role in society? Yeah, And, wow. you know, it was grappling with that it's like well it's to forgive sins and and then people are like well only yes. god can forgive sins what are you talking about i didn't think yes. you guys were catholic and i was like well we're not we're we are catholic in a sense um yes. but you know it's a it's a very very different focus um and i think that some denominations that don't have that focus can get really really off track um well, others yeah, your mileage I'll, may vary but anyways yeah Oh, look, it's a great discussion. I, it's it's one of the reasons why I'm a Lutheran. You know, when I heard about the office of the ministry and how the office of the ministry or the office of the keys is plays out in practice, you know, um, at the center of it is the forgiveness of sins. You know, how are our yeah. sins forgiven? Well, God, through Christ, gives these keys to the church and the church on, gives those keys. Well, a, a, a called and ordained pastor will exercise those keys on behalf of the church. That's that's the official yeah. Lutheran position. Right. Whereas the and and so um, Jesus is establishing his church through the confession when whenever we say Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Messiah, um, which is what, you know, the, and so the Catholic Church would have a slightly different view. They would say that the office of the keys is given to Peter, um, mm-hmm. which it is in that passage, but it's given to all like in the Greek, it's in the plural in the John 20 verse, but, um, but it's the confession of Peter, which he builds his church on essentially. It says there, um, he says, Oh, blessed are you, Peter. And on this confession, 
third person uh, singular, like on th- that confession is what I build my church on, not on second person singular, like not on you, Peter. It's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah, I've looked right into this really hard and um, there's, huge, there's huge conversations online about all that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you're right. At the center of the church is forgiveness of sins and that's how the church is involved in the, in this world that when sins are forgiven um people can't go anywhere else in this world to have their sins forgiven it, that it, it is it comes from the church that jesus has established um and that's what makes it so beautiful and so mysterious so exciting um right like it's just yeah. uh, it's so and it's so refreshing like because it's- we find that we belong there. Like when we realize our sins yeah. are forgiven, like we, when, 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 like, this is what I love, Micah, about just ministry and the church is that when I see people like get the gospel, like when they, okay, like they actually get grace, they understand grace, like I am forgiven. It's like, and then the light comes on and it's like, I don't have to be bitter anymore to my neighbor. I can forgive mm. my neighbor now. And like, like that is just beautiful. Like that's like, it makes everything worth it. <laughs> All of our suffering, everything. It's like you, we can rejoice in our suffering because uh, it yeah. has a purpose that this person understands the gospel. Yeah, it should be yeah. motivating in one sense, right? Um, yeah. I love how objective and tangible things are in the Lutheran church. Um, yeah. Much more yeah. so than – because I came from kind of a, a pietistic, you know uh, – uh, I think American Christianity in, in general kind of has the, the pietistic flavor, right. Of a lot of internal, a lot of internal introspection. You don't have in a lot of the, not every single one, but I I don't want to excessively qualify everything, but you know, in, in the general evangelical culture, you don't have the objectivity of the sacraments. Um, You don't have that focus on the forgiveness of sins. There's in, yes. in reformed churches there that are liturgical in a sense, there is what they call the assurance of pardon. And so it's not the absolution, but it's their, it's their version of it. So it's Christ forgives you. I, you know, I'm, I'm reminding you that Christ has forgiven your sins. Yeah. Um, but, but in the broader Pentecostal, you know, Baptist non-liturgical churches, you don't have that. You know, there's not that focus yes. of every week your sins are being forgiven by, you know, the Lord's Supper and the pastor and you're being called to remember your baptism and, you know, live in, in your baptism. Um, so it's, so, it's, it's like, the, yeah. I think it's the, it's the Calvin versus Luther thing, honestly, in a lot of ways is Luther yeah. was concerned with justification and the forgiveness of sins. And Calvin was concerned with idols and more, you know, I don't know, a different focus at least. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I mean, Calvin's good. I mean, it's interesting. It's, I've heard a lot of different people argue different things, but yeah, that's right. I think crudely put like Luther would say Jesus Christ is savior. Whereas I think Calvin crudely put would be Jesus Christ is Lord, you know, more on the sovereignty of God, more on, um, getting theology right. I mean, look, you know, I feel like Calvin's like logically trying to put things together and I think that's good, but I guess that's where, like I probably used to be there for a couple of years and I was like, but the more that I looked into the Lutheran church and I went, okay, like for me, it's like, um, there's a whole bunch of different things we could go into, but I mean, at at, at the end of it, it's like, 
there's like Bible verses that are competing for one another about, you know, does God love everybody or does he can, does he actively send people to hell? These kinds of things. I would go, well, the scriptures both say both um, about different things and they are both true, but they're not, um, whether they go together and they fit is not up to us. It's actually, are they both true? And even though there's not, uh, I can't use my reason to reconcile certain things. Anyway, yep. a, so I, Brian, I don't want to take it away, but um, yeah, Brian Wolfmiller's got great videos on this. Um, one of them is called uh, "Can I Lose My Salvation?" Maybe you've seen that. I highly encourage mm-hmm. anyone listening to this to go and watch that. If you're coming out of a a Calvinist Reformed uh, position or that you're really sort of struggling with things, just watch that. So it, it, he basically summarizes it in that way. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a I mean, like, yeah, but th- there's some great stuff that Calvin writes and says, and I, I, I yeah. encourage people to still read him. Um, he's, he, he does encourage people to be baptized. He just has his own slightly different, more logical view of Holy Communion. It's more of a logical thing rather than what does the Scripture say about it, you know? Like, Jesus says, this is my body, and it's like, mm-hmm. this means is or um, represents, you know? Uh, well, I, I mean, his view is more like that. It's a spiritual presence. I think most Calvinists would have this. That it's a spiritual presence and that our hearts ascend into heaven and are with Christ because he's at the right hand there physically rather than he's physically, bodily yeah. present on the altar. So there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole thing there. Here. I'm just going to – I was going to say um, I was just thinking about the meme groups that we run and so most people were like, oh, you know, oh, you're part of that. Um, so where is it? Uh, C group members, here we go. Yeah, so I'm, we're in this little, for those who are listening, so Micah and I are in this little meme council group. And uh, shout out to some of the people here. We've got Benjamin Huckle. He's in there. Like, I'm friends with his father, M- Matt, mm-hmm. from Adelaide. Um, what else we got in here? William Metz. God bless you. Benjamin DeWinter. I did watch a, b- b- a bit of the interview you did with him. That was really cool. It was a bit short, wasn't it? It wasn't very long. About an hour, I think, roughly. Okay. If I remember correctly. That's cool. Um, Jack Lynn, I've seen him around a lot, but I haven't really got to know yeah. him, but he's sort of up and coming as a bit of a superstar in the movement meme world. Um, but yeah, so I run the page, uh, just for people who are listening, they're like, oh, what do you do? Uh, I run the, it's called, um, Augsburg Catholic Memes for Ultra Crepidarian Teens. That's the page I run. Um, here's, here's, here's the question for a million dollars, Micah. Do you know what an ultra crepidarian is? I've looked it up once and I don't remember. <laughs> So, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be look, poor the rest of my life. You can you can look at that while we're talking. It'll be good. It'll be good educational for the uh, for the children. <laughs> Let me see. Ultra crepidarian. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that fits perfectly. It's so, so good. Yeah, it's great. So ultra crepidarian, noting or pertaining to a person who criticizes judges or gives advice outside the area of his or her expertise. <laughs> that's it's uh, that, um, it's, that describes the internet to a T, honestly. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's um so I mean I was in a I was in a, I, I it kind of all started when I was I was sharing a meme page with someone else. I've forgotten the guy's name. Who's that guy we were with? Is it Joel something? Um yeah I don't remember his and name. He was a Lutheran it's okay, um, but I was I was sharing a page with him. He invited me to be like a moderator, and I was doing memes with him. Uh, it was just called mm-hmm. Augsburg Catholic Memes, I think. Yeah, and it was basically the same type of and 
our, our friendship began when I would just started sending him memes. Like I was like, oh, I'd make memes like this. And I would just send memes like you can't, what's the word? Um, you can't, I think it was like, you can't buy happiness, but you can chant the liturgy, which are kind of the same thing. You know, <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like a picture of like, <laughs> you know, monks doing something. And I think he was like, oh, sweet. And he started to like put them up and go credit Pitt and Noble. And from there he was like, well, you're making enough memes. You might as well just be a moderator. And I was like, sweet. So I did that for like a year. And then I believe he became uh, a Roman Catholic over time. I think so. Uh, and then, and then he deleted his page. And that was it. And I was like, so I, and I, I did try to talk to him a little bit, but he hasn't done. Um, anyway, I don't want to, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's, I, I wish him all the best. I just, it was just, just a bit unusual the way that it all kind of unfolded. Um, I wish he could have yeah. just handed it over or something, you know, it just, it was a bit unusual. That would be like, that would more, make more sense. I think, unless it was like, oh, I, I think Lutherans are wrong completely and they need to, stop enjoying yeah. the memes or whatever i don't know but yeah i haven't <laughs> like, i haven't talked to him though so you guys are having too much fun delete it yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just you, um, hate it. you, hate, you hate to see it when there's like a, a page that's built up a following you know and and then yes, all that kind of goes yeah. to waste i would have loved to have just yeah. been able to like transfer the content also there was so much good stuff like years of just yeah. like Anyway, it was one of the good. it was one of the OG meme pages, I think, for Lutherans. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Is it so? I don't know. Is there any other questions that you wanted to cover? Anything yeah, important? So let's happy do, to go let's anywhere do you want. Like, let's do like a lightning round. Um, <laughs> what are your like biggest <laughs> musical influences? Uh, musical influences. Um, I listen to a lot. Um, I love All Time Low. They're a cool punk rock band from, uh, let me get this right. They're from America. They're from, I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, Baltimore. They're from Baltimore. All Time Low. Mm. Uh, I like them. I like Maroon 5. I don't know what you like. I don't know what you think about them, but they're, but they're pretty cool. I, do, yeah. I just, I, I, I dig their stuff. Uh, I used to be heaps into hip hop, you know, like uh, I don't listen to it as much anymore. I, I still love hip hop, but I just don't just don't get into it. Just I think I just kind of I don't know. It's just like the love for hip hop is kind of just just kind of tape it off. Like I don't hate it, not not anti. Just yeah. But sort of come back to punk rock stuff. Uh, what else is out there? Um, I don't know. I yeah. Just anything that sounds good. I mean, tr- traditionally it's been like uh, Newfound Glory. They're from Florida, and. Um, Yellow card, they're from Florida as well. Okay. Um, Mest, Mest. Look, I got a t- I got a tattoo of Mest. You can see that. That's their symbol. That face is the symbol of mm. Mest. They're from Chicago, Illinois. Um, yeah, this and they're so still. I think American. the singer Tony Levito is still getting around doing stuff he, as the singer. He just hires a different band to do his things. Um, mm. But yeah, like so, I'm into that kind of stuff. I don't know if you know any of those bands. Um, but, uh, a couple, but uh, mainly Maroon Five because I'm a normie, so <laughs> not in, not in the punk scene. Although Dr. Jordan Red- Cooper could probably go go toe to toe with you on punk bands. Jordan Cooper, he's another cool guy. I really appreciate his podcasts and his stuff. Hard to get a hold of. I, I, I tried to interview him once and just never got a response. So I was like, yeah. Anyway, I used to message well, him before I was even a Lutheran, and uh, oh, okay. 
Yeah, I've got, I've got, I got messages going back to him from like 2015, 2016, and I was like, I need your help on some Lutheran paper. <laughs> Can you help me? And he's like, <laughs> he, I don't know. He just, I, I think he was a bit like, I don't know, reluctant to write to me anyway. But he's, he's excellent. Who's, the whole, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I would do the same to me if I was him. I, no, oh, well, anyway, I'm sure he's very do you busy. Have, I, yeah, yeah, he reads a ton. Reads. I mean, he's also, I think, uh, filling a pulpit too for a church as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that stuff takes you time. You just gotta, yeah, yeah. You have to say no sometimes when you're busy. busy. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. So you're you're an amateur tattoo artist as well, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I like to think I am. Um, I, I've, I've done a bunch of tattoos on myself. Um, I don't know if you can see this one. I did this hand on myself. Uh, but um, I did this microphone starting there. Kind of goes up around the arm here. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I got a bunch on my body. I won't strip down, but um, I did like a bunch of different stuff um, on my stomach, on my own stomach. I was just like tattooing a big panther head on there with different colors. But um, yeah, I just kind of uh, got into it because I've always been into tattoos since I was 18 and I started getting mm. um, tattoos. I think that was my first one, that star. And then like six months later, I got another one. And uh, just piece by piece, got like a half sleeve in Japan and... Um, Wow. Just yeah. And now I'm pretty much most of me is covered except for like my lower like my lower back and probably a little bit of the back of my legs, but I'm pretty much covered like mostly. So yeah. But I'm not gonna show my body off to <laughs> to my parishioners. That's for your, that's um, for your wife only. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You're a funny man. Um but you know what though? But the truth of it is, I just got sick of paying for tattoos. Like they cost a fortune. Mm. I don't know what they're like in America, but in Australia they're about the Australian dollar, they're about $120 an hour, which is about, yeah. I don't know, 60 US dollars an hour to get a tattoo. And when you're getting like a whole session for like six to eight hours, it adds up, you know? And oh, so yeah. uh, in the end, I just was like, I'm going to, I took the plunge and I just bought some machines and uh, I started teaching myself. I, I was able to draw, so I'm a reasonably good drawer and, arti and mm -hmm. artistic. And so after a while, I um, just got that enough gear, bought a scanning machine, uh, um, what do you call it, a carbon machine, had enough machines. And so, yeah, just I'm just using traditional um, coil machines and just using um, just – sometimes I draw my own design, sometimes I do others, and I just ended up um, – teaching myself watched a bunch of youtube videos <clears throat> on how to do it hmm. and after a while yeah i bought some some good ink and just away i went and i've, I've done about 14 tattoos on myself just kind of on my legs and um yeah now look i'm yeah some of them are christian some of them are like a bit of pop culture like i don't know if there's um you can see there's uh knuckles and tails is in there I don't know if you can see nice. that um got the angry cat <laughs> <laughs> Bushy, <laughs> um, Mario. That's great. But but you're not a real Lutheran until you get one of these bad boys, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but um, oh look, I just yeah, you know what? And like, w what's really cool, Micah, is like I've never had pushback from a Lutheran who said, "Why? What? Like, how can you have tattoos? Like, what's wrong with you?" Mm -hmm. I've never ever had. I've only ever had pushback from one gentleman. And I found out later that he wasn't actually a Lutheran. He was a, a Methodist slash, you know, yeah, ex-Wesleyan or something. Man. And I thought, 
Very strange, yeah. And so I've never, I never once got questioned about my tattoos going through seminary. And I think that's because mm. they know what they're looking for when they form pastors. They're like, so what if this guy's got tattoos? Does this person have substance? Does this guy love his wife? Does he serve faithfully at church? Is he willing to suffer for others? Does he love his neighbor as, him, as himself? You know, all this stuff. So having tattoos yeah. just never came up. But but I did write a paper on it. And um, really, it's just um, a Christian freedom. You know, Romans 14 is kind of like the main thing, you know. So, um, so after a while, I just got so much into them that I was like, I'm going to buy some machines. And I've got enough gear to just do my own thing. Um, I've yeah. done a couple of tattoos on other people. And I thought about starting, like, doing it more often. But what I found is um, it needs to be constant. Like, you need to be doing it a lot to constantly get better and have the gear prepared. Otherwise, you do get a bit rusty. So I know how to do it. And I've done a bunch. And, and, and I, I would do it if I wasn't doing full-time ministry. Like, you know, I, like I would just do tattoos for free mm. for other people because like, I don't need to get paid for it. Um, I went and did my infection prevention course, which we do. Uh, you'd probably do the same thing in the States. There'd be a similar course. Um, so oh, pretty yeah. much I can guarantee that you won't get an infection. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, <laughs> you know, but it's, it, but it's cool. You know, the whole science of tattoos is amazing, like that you can stick yeah. ink, like a needle sticks into the skin and pushes ink into the second layer of the dermis and stays there for your lifetime. Like just the way that, like, hmm. it's amazing. Anyway, so. Yeah, I don't know anyone else who does tattooing who's a Christian or let alone a pastor. But um, yeah, I, I started doing a few friends. I did about three or four friends. And I thought, since I've come to Hobart, I haven't had a chance to do any. But I still got all the gear. So so when you're in Hobart, Micah, uh, just get permission from your wife and we'll do that whole back piece. That, uh, that we'll, we'll do a Tasmanian tiger across your shoulder <laughs> blades. <whole> <laughs> well, so... You know, like the the tradition I grew up in, tattoos would have been you know anathema essentially. Um, yeah, right, right. And my wife got one uh, on her so on her arm, the forearm, inside forearm, and it's a line from the musical Wicked, um, which is because I knew you, I have been changed for good, and that's um, about her relationship cool. with my sister, who they met they met and were friends before my wife and I even started dating. Uh, and then she got that a, a year or two after my sister passed away from brain cancer. Um, okay. so she's got mm. one, you know, and, and I don't think she's interested in getting any more and I'm, I don't have any. Right. And my whole thing is, hey, is if I do on perfect, it, so, as my wife would say, well, <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I do, if I do get one and I, I kind of want one, right. I'd like to, I think they're really cool. I think you can do some really neat things, but I'm a very kind of cautious, methodical person. And the thought of putting something permanent on me, I'm like, it's, it better be something that I, that is very meaningful and that I really want. And so I haven't, sure, sure, I've yeah, got a yeah. few ideas, but I've never, you know, pulled the trigger on it. Right. So uh, the first one's always the hardest, always like it was huge for me to get that star. And I just remember looking at that star for years. And then there was a moment there where I was like, did I make a mistake? And then I was like, nah, it's all cool. And then I just got another one. And then I got, and then once you get, after you get your first one and you're cool with it, it becomes, yeah. a, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. It, it can become a landslide. And so, um, it's probably been a few times where I've had to check myself and go, am, you know, uh, you know, um, am I getting this because I want to get this because I like it, or do I think it's cool? Like, you know, like I never try to impress anybody. Like I always got it for me. 
But the big thing, I guess for anyone who's listening, that the one key thing for Christians is, um, yes, you're free to get it. It's a Christian freedom. Um, does it have to be a Christian tattoo? No. Um, should it be? It, it probably helps. But the big thing is when you get it, will it cause you to stumble in your faith or other people? Do you know what I mean? Like when they see it. So for me, just for those who are listening, whenever I'm leading public worship, I always, generally without exception, cover up with an alb when I'm leading worship. If you ever watch um, any of the services that we do online, you can watch them on the uh, St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Hobart has a YouTube channel and it's always live. So you get a full liturgy there and a sermon and everything. Um, and I always cover up. Um, I might only occasionally, like if it's just stinking hot, um, as it was in Gladstone, like I might wear a short sleeve T-shirt for um, something. But generally, even, nah, like, I don't think there's ever been an occasion where I have. I think I've always worn a long sleeve shirt, even if I didn't wear an alb. So anyway, mm. but it's just one of those things like I'd, I don't want someone else to stumble or be distracted because of them, you know. So that's just yeah. it's just something I've got, I have to be considerate of. But again, I've never had a complaint. I've never had someone go, oh, why do you do that? Or this is wrong. Or Generally, uh, this is just what I found, Micah, is like the Lutheran Church has very mature Christians. Just my observation, my opinion. I yeah, I don't know what. Like, have you found something similar to that? What What do you think? Well, I think I there's a. I think there's probably a different focus because, like, just for uh, for example, the American Church, ninety percent of the Christians in uh, the U.S. were from the Puritans and like the reformed, right? So the yeah, nonconformists like from the church, from the church Jonathan of England. Edwards, all yep. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a very, and then of course you have Methodism as another strain. And then the, the Baptists who came out of the Puritans and the Congregationalists. Um, yeah, Lutheranism wow. was kind of transplanted much later. And I think there is a different, there's a different kind of view of Christian living. Um, you know, because Lutherans, it's it's beer and it's you know, and it's tattoos are fine. I, I assume, and you know, other things like that. Whereas mm. the the holiness movements, <clears throat> like Pentecostal, Methodist, that would have been you know, not like the prohibition that sort of thing. There's a much more focus on kind of the external behavior in some of those. So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like yes, there's like this focus on like what you do. Or the external rather than the internal, like what you cannot see by faith. <clears throat> well, I mean, obviously, there needs to be fruits, fruits of the spirit that are evident. You know, um, yeah. you can't get around and slander your brother and go, "I'm a Christian." Like, and I think we both agree there is a person <laughs> that does this, which I won't name, <laughs> and it's been very, very tough in some of our communities um, having to process this. But um, yeah. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, so, Holmes, so you're in Dallas. How far are you from Austin, Texas, which is where Brian Wolfmuller is, I believe? Yeah, is I'm going right? say three hours. I might be oh, off. Okay. Yeah, three or four hours, something like that. that I can map it real quick. That's right. Um, I've never been, actually, to Austin. I live in I live in Texas, but I've never been. And Austin right, so where says, um, William Metz lives? Yep, he goes I to Pastor Wolfmaker's church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but he's got another parish that he drives to, which I would imagine is looks like it's – because he always has the drive home podcast that he runs with uh, Luther Small Catechism on the back seat clipped in. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he's coming out to Australia uh, soon, oh, nice. like in the next couple of months. He's doing a, a thing, yeah, Creative Word Fellowship, which is the Lutheran – there's a Lutheran confessional arm in Australia that um, they're getting him out. Mm. And so actually I was asked by Peter Whitworth to come over and uh, do some stuff with that. So I'm, so I'm, I'm plan I'm planning to be there or I want to be there. It's just hard because I'm not on the mainland. So I need to fly in. It's like flying in from Alaska, <laughs> right? Yeah. Gotta, so how, how far away, <laughs> how far away are you actually? Is it, is it a ferry or is it oh, only my plane? You can get a ferry, but the drive from, it'll be, well, to go, like, um, it's about a two and a half, three hour drive to get to the north of Tasmania. And okay. that's the whole island pretty much to get from one end to the other, mostly. But then to get, but to go to, but to fly to Melbourne, which is like a major capital on the mainland or Adelaide only takes like an hour. It's not that far. It's just organizing okay. it to get it over. But then, but you know, if you yeah. want to take your family and kids, it's a, a mission, <laughs> a mission of God. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be. Hey. Texas also has another one of my favorite bands, which I'm into, is uh, Bowling for Soup. Have you heard of okay. Bowling for Soup? I have heard of them. I don't know. And I'm sure I've heard some of their music, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. <clears throat> they wrote that song, uh, 191985. Do, do, do. <laughs> like there was Bruce Dean, Madonna, way before Nirvana. <laughs> okay. Yep. You two yeah, heard that and one. Blondie. <laughs> <laughs> I see some of the lines in that song are so uh, amazing. Like there's one line and it's like, um, it's like, when, when did Motley Crue become classic rock? <laughs> uh, uh, it's like um, very um, culturally observant. You know? <laughs> yeah. But um, I know they like to eat. They're big boys. They love to eat. Uh, you see them, they're like, quite to, large in their band. Come and, to Texas, um, there's a lot of good food here. So, And one of their lyrics in another song goes, uh, the, plus, the, plus, the Mex, plus the Mexican food sucks north of here anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's, <laughs> Is this true? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that must be <laughs> There's Mexican food everywhere, but it's not very good, you know. Uh, yeah, the, more, right. the more north you go, the worse it gets, I'd say. Oh, my goodness. What's, like, the best Sweet. place in America to go or in Texas for Mexican food? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It depends because there's lots of different variants. So one of the more common ones here is called Tex-Mex. So it's, like, okay. it's more – it's not strict. It's not strict, authentic Mexican food. It's kind of a Americanized – Texasized version of it. Um, so, but there's a lot of good, a lot of good spots around here for uh, nachos and margaritas and that sort of thing. You know, there's one, one of my favorite restaurants has um, a meal called the Dirty Bob, and whenever, <laughs> whenever you see that on the menu, no matter what it is, you got to order it, right? So, what what is it? Sounds like a so it's a it's a, a it's a burrito on a plate thing. that's no it's delicious so it's either it's either fajita it's either grilled steak or grilled chicken in a burrito okay. and then smothered in either ranchero sauce or queso so it's it's similar it's it's delicious it's delicious yeah so it's a similar concept to like an enchilada or something like that but yeah that's so, cool man well and I I'd love to leave this uh 
for the comment section. What tattoo should I get? So if you have an yeah. opinion on my tattoo, face, my first tattoo. The face of Brian Wolfmuller across your back. Full size across your back tattoo. His face. <laughs> yeah, bro. I'm starting yeah. to go fund me. We're going to do this. <laughs> All right. Well, and then we'll fly you in. William to, Metz fly can, you in to perform it. William Metz can do like a, like a, you know, um, in the church notices, you know, okay, we're passing around the basket for, uh, for Mike or Spencer's back face tattoo of <laughs> Brian <Yeah>. Wolf. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, we ask you to dig deep, you know, <laughs> sacrifice for the cause. <laughs> love, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would don't I would donate for this. I actually would donate. I'm I'm William. If you're listening, take note. All right, there you go. You've yeah. got your justification we'll to see. start a, a GoFundMe page. <laughs> so we will link your we will link your YouTube. We will link your Bandcamp, your meme page, and your church. Is any where can people find yeah. you? Just those places. Yeah, just yeah, just you, you can message me at um. Uh, probably finding my personal Facebook page is pretty hard. It's um at the moment it's like Petros Noble, all in Greek letters. Um, but you can find me at like Nobi One, so N O B W E O N E. That's my um Facebook page. You can get me there. You can email me through um the Augsburg Catholic Memes page. Like any of those are fine. Uh, Nobi One, too too unorganized. I'll, I'll I'll give you that link. I'll I'll give you about four or five different things that I'm doing. Uh, and Perfect. you can. People can look them up, but um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me if you wish. I'm happy to answer questions. Um, yeah, yeah, and if I come to the states, I'll say say, say hello to you all. It'd be lovely to, say, to meet you. Bring, meet you bring your tattoo gears. You can. Uh, nah. you know. <laughs> I'd rather you take me to that place and get one of those dirty bobs. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, if you're ever in Dallas area, then we'll 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 hit it up. Definitely, it'll be good. Aww. sweet. Um, well, thanks for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Dude, it's my pleasure. It's amazing. And um, I can, again, I commend your ministry. I think, I hope that people who listen to this stuff are, are blessed and encouraged. And um, it's not just mm. uh, nonsense, but actually it's feeding people's yeah. souls and encouraging them for uh, towards righteousness. And um, and uh, just, you know, it could be, you know, an Anglican or a Roman Catholic or, an, or you know, Reformed person listening to it too, thinking, you know, oh, you know, like I might, Look, you know, you, you never know. I find you never know who. Like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I still get emails from parents who have CDs, hip hop CDs that I gave away a decade ago, and someone's like, "Oh, my son listened to that, and he's now a Christian," you know, or he goes to church. Mm -hmm. Or so you just never know, and you just you kind of go yeah. give thanks. So, but um, but thank you for running it, and keep running these. These are great. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's a blessing to the the me the meme lord community. Yeah, well, <laughs> I hope so. Meme lord. <laughs> But, yeah, um, yeah. Should I, it. I feel I should pray to close. Should we do this? Absolutely. And then I'll do a little I outro and we'll let's do that. It'll be good. Let's, let's pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. Gracious Lord. Uh, thank you for this day. We praise you for you are everlasting. You are righteous and, uh, and good. Um, father, forgive us of our sin this day. Um, wash us clean remind us that we are baptized and that you put your holy name on us father son and holy spirit uh, that you redeem us through the water and the word um, and lord uh, grant us repentance that we re may remember this promise that you give to us 
Thank you, Lord, for your servant, Micah. Thank you for his ministry with our City Square podcast. May it be a blessing to many thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of people around the world who listen in to this podcast uh, and are blessed. Bless uh, our culture. Lord, may we be uh, salt and light through memes and through culture that we might proclaim the gospel and have healthy godly dialogue with our brothers and sisters in different denominations. Uh, May we confess our faith boldly, uh, but when we do it, help us to do it with uh, gentleness and respect. Um, Bless uh, Micah and bless his family, his children, uh, bless his church and his hometown there near Dallas, uh, and grant, um, uh, grant us mercy and grace as we go out uh, and serve our neighbor as ourselves, Lord. We ask these things. In Jesus' name, for he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank thank you, Mike. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thank you. And thanks, everyone, for watching. If you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace.